When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today is Friday, March 31st, and this is Celtics Beat on CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman. Episode 506 features Heavy.com's Steve Bolpet. And I'm Evan Valenti, and this show is powered by FanDuel and BetterHelp. Go to FanDuel.com slash Boston to get a $200 bonus on your first bet of at least $5 or more, and go to BetterHelp.com slash Beat to get 10% off your first month. What's up, everyone? Welcome in to a new edition of Celtics Beat. We are winding down the regular season playoffs are right around the corner. And my God, if you're anything like me, you have been on an emotional roller coaster with this team. We will talk about all of it. Adam Kaufman and Valenti. And of course, you know, you know us. You're sick of us. Steve Bullpett, good friend of the program here from Heavy Sports. Steve's good to see you. How are you guys doing? Well, now that you're here, we're doing great. We get to talk about all things going on with this team. And I think we have to begin with what's happening with these these most recent games. Now, first and foremost, the Celtics blew doors in Milwaukee, absolutely killed the Bucks, beat them by 41 points, and somehow it managed to feel worse than that. And uh, an ever-important game, obviously, if, if they have any prayer, any hope of the one seed right now, but it would be a more interesting conversation if the Seas had not completely defecated all over themselves in Washington just a couple of days before when they were favored by what 11 12 points odds makers going into that one and and lost by 19 20 points it it was terrible you're at full strength you don't have Beal or Kuzma or Gafford or a number of other guys on the other side and the Celts just could not make a shot couldn't get out of their own way and it was a complete reversal of fortune in Milwaukee it doesn't feel this way I think for a lot of people listening Steve but Boston has won eight of 11 games going into the final five game stretch that we have in the regular season before the playoffs so bigger picture because that is what we deal with on this show how are you feeling about this group right now? Uh, well, just thinking of it, yeah, they, uh, Tuesday in D.C., they picked a weird time to try to match Congress and do nothing. Um, it's, you know, I, I, I try not to get too, read too much into any games, and I certainly don't read too much into last night in Milwaukee. You know, Bucks. We, when the Celtics have a game where they just don't make shots and it affects them at the other end and all those things happen, um, you know, they, we kind of chalk it up a little bit. And I think the same thing with, was with the Bucks last night. They were in a second night of a back-to-back. And once the Celtics uh, let it be known that they weren't going to stop playing, that they weren't going to let someone back in, they were going to keep that they were going to keep their defensive intensity up where it needs to be. I think the Bucks kind of, you know, fell away from that. They're, they um, turned the shutoff valve to a degree. Um, so, look, I think to answer your question, um, after five miles of going around the bush here, um, I, I think that 
they I feel the same way now as I did last week, two weeks ago, and even before the season. If the Celtics play the way they're supposed to play, play play with pace really fast on offense, move the ball, and get up into people on defense. And I think they're the best team in the league. I think they were the best team in the league last year, and they screwed it up against that. Well, that was a quote from uh, um, a GM I talked to this week. You know, they screwed it up last year against the against the Warriors. They went away from from what they do best, and they've done that in past years as well. So, um, the best thing you can say about the Celtics and their prospects are, is something that I think every team wishes it could say about itself. In that its fate is really in its own hands. It's in their hands. You know, um, they can beat themselves. I'm not sure if they play to their max, if they do what they're supposed to do, I'm not sure anyone else can beat them. I do think in in generalities, because I haven't gone through to crunch the numbers, you know, record versus teams over 500 versus those below 500, but certainly to the eye test and looking at the most recent two games, it's it's definitely a fact. But I, I, I would guess it probably bears it out over the season as well. They are just a better team against better teams versus playing down to their competition. If there's, I guess, a silver lining, you know, or something that could make a, a fan feel better it would be, well, you're not going to see any bad teams in the playoffs for the most part. You know, you're going to see teams that earn their way in there. You're not going to be facing the Orlandos and the Washingtons of the world. These are teams that you should go in and and never mind personal motivation and and all things that you would hope a a, a player has and, and a team collectively has going into the postseason when you're going for that Larry O'Brien trophy. I just think the there's something these regular season letdown nights that happen against teams that the C's, you know, fairly openly go into taking for granted. Yeah. I mean, what it all, what it comes back to for me is, um, and I've been saying this for a while. It's like, if you want to truly be elite, you can't act elitist. <laughs> you, you have to realize that no matter um, who you're playing, you still have to, on every possession offensively, you still have to come down, set hard picks, and make hard cuts. Defensively, you still have to get up into people. You still have to um, not just play, you know, schematically correct. You've got to play with a certain amount of force. And you can't just walk out and say, hi, we're the Boston Celtics, you're the Wizards, and you don't have your two best players, so piece of cake for us. Can't do that. You can't act that way. And I think that there are times where even during games, when they'll get up by 20 points and then let their foot off the gas, it's like, no, you've got to grind all the time. You know, if you, if you want to be that that team up top on the throne, you've got to act like you're a, like you're a peon and, and play that hard. It's, you know, you... You can't get to one without the other. Yeah. yeah that being said, I, I just real quick, I don't want this to be a game preview thing because, you know, by the time some people listen to this show, the game will already have been played, but same kind of case. They have a Washington like team tonight going up against Utah, albeit at the gardens. That's good. But second night of a back to back, a team that you're favored by, you know, two touchdowns against, how are they going to play? How are they going to perform? Yeah, like what, what kind of confidence do you have in the Celtics in these types of games? 
well, I'm going to take all my money and, and play a wicked awesome parlay. <laughs> um, uh, we, sorry, we were uh, discussing uh, uh, betting ads recently so, uh, before we went on the air here. So before we even shouted out our, our inside joke about. here. Um, uh, look, yeah, exactly. And they're on the second night of a back to back. So we'll see what they come out with. But yeah, I, it, you would think that it would help the Celtics prospects tonight, uh, that they lost in Utah and they maybe realize that, Hey, if we don't play this team, Cannon will beat us. So, um, you know, there's a lot of that. I mean, they, you know, they need to get that mindset and build that habit so that they don't have to think, oh, we need to turn up our defense now. That's something that should be there, should be there reflexively. And the fact that it's not, <clears throat> I think, can be a little con- uh, concerning at times. Evan Valenti, Adam Kaufman, Celtics Beat, Steve Bulpet from Heavy.com and Heavy Sports. I do want to backtrack just real quickly, Steve. Um, to Thursday night, again, the huge win for the, the season against the Bucks in terms of, you know, just statistical outcome, an absolute beatdown, 41-point win for the Celtics. And I want to harp on something you kind of mentioned, because I somewhat agree with you, like, after last night, you know, what do you really take away from this? The only thing I really take away is that Boston saw that game, was like, we have an opportunity to to show the NBA and the Bucks that, you know, don't take us lightly. We just, we're going to come in here and we're going to, you know, we're going to ramp it up and we're going to play – um, we're going to play our best game, be on our best behavior, play great defense, just to show everybody that we can still do this. I think there's at least that was somewhat of a statement game by Boston. But I want to get back to so the Celtics have played the Bucks three times or two and one. They have a 20 plus point win in Boston earlier in the year. They have a game in which they lost in overtime, but four of their five starters didn't play. And then they have this game last night. Plus the seven game series that was an absolute slobber knocker as one of my favorite uh, verbs. Um, to our adjectives to uh, the, the year prior in the playoffs. So my question is with that seven game series. And my question the, is, are the Bucks just not that good? No, like what do we take away? <laughs> can we, can we take away anything from any of these games or, or is this just as simple? Like, okay, these are two best teams in the East who wins coin flip, but these are two great teams and hopefully they get to match up in the finals so we can all enjoy what will be another incredible series between two really awesome teams. Well, um, what I'd look at is the the way the Celtics deal with Giannis, um, which is as good a plan as anyone's got. And um, I think, you know, and a lot of stuff we're talking about here when we're mentioning the Celtics playing down to competition and all that is we're, we're basically looking at human nature. And the Celtics load up to – Giannis very well. Now, to do that requires making a bunch of shots so you can set your defense, or if you don't, getting back on defense, which has been a problem for the Celtics. Um, they've been doing that against Milwaukee. The thing that where human nature plays in is that Giannis is among the most competitive and hardest working players the league's ever seen. And he's going to fight, try to fight through those things. So, um, you know, if I'm Milwaukee and I'm playing Boston, then you're going to have to have really good games from Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday, still to my mind, incredibly underrated. 
but those other guys are going to have to make shots and make plays. Um, Brooke Lopez, they've got, they've got a lot of good players. Um, and so that's one of the things I would take away from this here is how is Milwaukee going to deal with that? If it becomes, if they meet them in a series, because you know, the Celtics are going to make someone else beat them. Oh, and the other problem could come in is if the game gets called really tight, then, you know, um, Giannis could live at the free throw line where he, you know, even though he's not the, you know, he's not Rick Barry or Calvin Murphy there or Larry Bird or Seth Curry, he's still going to make enough of them that, that can hurt you badly. I think there are plenty of NBA fans, maybe unless you root for another team in the Eastern Conference, obviously, but there are plenty of NBA fans that would like to see a Celtics Bucks playoff series. It, it would, you know, you're talking about two of the better teams in the league, obviously, and two of the better teams in the conference. It would be a fun matchup. There's history there. Uh, there have been comments made on both sides. Uh, Giannis and Tatum going head to head, not to leave Brown out of the equation because we already know how Jalen Brown feels right now. But, uh, you know, I, I think all of that would be last con- night. You had Thanasis and Blake Griffin going head to head, literally. That's right. So we definitely need that matchup. We'll have Blake out there wearing Jalen's mask. But what I'm wondering is before we get to that point, if we get to that point, is there a team right now? Because I agree with you, Boston's fully capable of beating itself. But is there a team independent of that that would worry you as a Celtics fan that you think, man, that's just that's that's a good matchup. Like, as an example, if this plays out to where the C's see the heat in the first round of the playoffs, that matchup and those shooters just forever, you know, and, and Jimmy Butler being Jimmy Butler in big game moments, that matchup forever concerns me. That is, I, I could see, not that I would predict it, but I could see Boston going out in the first round of Miami and, and, and everyone feeling absolutely terrible about it. Is there a team? Is it Miami? Is there a different team? Is, is there one that, that actually does concern you going against Boston? If I'm the Celtics, I think every you would hope that every team would concern them so that they would, you know, take everything seriously. Um, they should, they should smoke Miami, but if they don't come out and, you know, put the foot on the gas and keep it there, then they'll, they'll have trouble because, because the Miami will hit a couple of, uh, outside shots, Max Struess, uh, you know, one you let get away. And hit three or four shots, and all of a sudden, you know, instead of playing your moving the ball, cutting, passing game, guys are going to come down and say, "I'm going to go make a play now," and there the offense just devolves from there. Um, so the, all those teams should scare you. In terms of teams that have a more legitimate chance, you know, with talent to beat the Celtics, Philadelphia, you know, they're still they're still getting their stuff together in a lot of ways. You know, and Embiid is a beast. So, um, you know, but the, what's funny, though, is that any team can have trouble with a lesser team. Um, we all look back around Boston, look back at 2008 and said, hey, the big three, that was a wagon. Those guys were incredible. Yet first round series. They had to go to game seven against Atlanta, which I believe finished 28 games behind them in the standings. They needed home court to get out of that series. Uh, same thing against, you know, uh, against Cleveland in the second round. They didn't win a road playoff game until Detroit. 
in the in the conference finals. So, you know, um, don't take anything for granted. Um, I wouldn't. And if the Celtics do, it'll be at their own peril. Yeah, there are a number of. Well, go ahead. Well, I was just I found it curious. I'm trying to remember if it was you or your colleague, Sean Devaney, who had had it in their most recent article, an article that came out this week about how. Like, yeah, I wouldn't want to see Boston if I'm another team. I, I don't remember if it was you or if it was Sean, but somebody yeah. had a quote. Was it you? That's what I thought. Yeah. Uh, there was a quote in there buried in there. It was, you know, if I'm, if I'm any other team. If, if it's something good, it's usually Sean, but in this case. This is, it happened this one time happened to be you, Steve. Um, I just, I, you know, I think we've lost track. Yeah. Right. One for Steve. There you go. I think we've <laughs> maybe lost track of the fact that like, I, I, you know, we live in a Celtic centered universe. So a lot of the times. You know, everything is sort of like, okay, who should Boston be afraid of? But there's a flip side of that coin that I don't think a lot of us consider is how do other teams feel about the Celtics? And I and I read that quote and I was like, Yeah, you know, if, if Boston's coming into your place or you have a seven game series with the Celtics and you're and you don't have home court, like I would be, you know, if I'm Philly, like I I feel like Boston's sort of our boogeyman here where like doesn't matter what we do, as Embiid said, this isn't a rivalry, they always kick our ass. So I feel like as much as we sit here and talk about how, you know, oh, Boston should be worried about this, 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 and that, other teams should be terrified that Boston seems to maybe be riding the ship here at the end of the season. Yeah, I'd say to a degree. Um, but it's, like I said, it's still kind of in the Celtics' hands, you know. Um, but you're dealing with guys that are really good players. And Embiid, Harden could all of a sudden, you know, go off. Um, the schedule becomes a lot more advantageous for older players in the, in the postseason. Um, so, and Tyrese Maxey is, a, is a budding star. Um, they got a, they got guys that can play. Um, so I, I think, yeah, they're, the Celtics should be concerned. The Celtics have to play as if they are concerned. It's when they don't, that they get into trouble. So, um, yeah, I I would I would look at it that way as well to a degree, but um, can't take anything for granted. As someone who's you know done this for a long time, been around the block, covered a lot of teams, a lot of players, a lot of coaches. A constant, very easy, kind of lazy social media and sports talk conversation is blame the coach, right? I mean, the, uh, the first half of last year. Hashtag fire email regularly seen on Twitter. There are plenty of people in my mentions. I would assume that of those, uh, the two of you as well that are whether dissatisfied or certainly just not inspired by Joe Missoula and sort of the ups and downs of, of this team. Do we overrate coaching and that you can make that about Joe. You can make it about coaching in general in the NBA. Do we overrate the importance of coaching once you have a loaded team? It's one thing if you have a rebuilding team or a team that's kind of on the cusp trying to get over the hump. But once you have a loaded team, a true contender, which obviously Boston does, do we overrate the importance of coaching versus the guys simply going out there and doing their jobs? Yeah. Next question. No, I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I, I'm finding amazing, you know, um, Look, I know we've talked about this in the past. The Celtics lost in the 2018 playoffs, Game 7 at home against Cleveland, 
they had it in their hands. And trust me, the Warriors were really hoping the Celtics wouldn't, you know, come out of the East. Um, and they proved how happy they were by walking all over the, the Cavaliers in that final. But the Celtics lost, got knocked out because they started playing hero ball and, and at the most inopportune time. Same thing happened in 2019. Same thing happened in 2020. 21 different. Last year, uh, you know, undisciplined against the Warriors. And the Warriors were like, you know, they – I don't think the Warriors felt that they were a better player-for-player player team. But um, we go back to, was it um, Grant Williams's comment from this summer? We had more talent, but they were more disciplined. You know, it's like, well, discipline's kind of a talent, you know? So, yeah, I I – I, I think they, um, that those are key. That's key stuff. I, I agree. And the player, the coaches didn't tell the players, Hey, look, uh, excuse me, uh, screw the offense. Just go take the ball and go try to make a play. Why don't you drive into three guys and turn the ball over now? <laughs> you know, and, and as far as coaching, Brad Stevens couldn't get him to play the way they were supposed to when they needed to at, at different times. Um, <clears throat> MA couldn't in the finals last year. Um, you remember the, the tweet I had, or someone had told me that during a timeout, um, were you allowed to use questionable language here? Oh, was this the, the Dwayne Wade? No, this is the, uh, what do you oh, call no, it? That was a Mike Gorman story, the Dwayne he, Wade he, Utah story. No, go ahead. He brings the team into the huddle and say, will you guys stop playing like assholes? Yeah. You know, I, I mean, remember that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. it was, you know, it was funny. The, the person that told me this, um, obviously, uh, with the team was like, you know, should I have said something? Of, you know, should I have told you that? I said, the fact when I tweeted that out and wrote about it, that was the best reaction MA had gotten all year from the from fans. They loved him for that. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's, it's like these guys can't get them to do what they want to do all, what they want them to do all the time. One thing you got to give, uh, Missoula credit for is, that he's doing a much better job of getting this team to run. Now, is he doing it or is are the players realizing that, you know, look, if this team plays fast, I don't think anyone can touch them. It's when they, it's when they walk the ball up, make it a half court that all of a sudden, you know, they don't move the ball as much. They have to do a lot more work. It's amazing to me how much, how, how often, the Celtics go away from what's best for them, even individually. Um, you know, uh, if I'm Jason Tatum, I want to throw an outlet pass and just sprint because even though I got to run, your life's a lot easier than having to drive through or run off of four picks and drive through three guys. Um, this team in the open court um, is, I think is a wagon and, you know, that's, it's on them if they don't do it. So all that being said, uh, no coach is infallible unless you're, you know, Bill Belichick and you want to be judged on a 25-year sample size. So is there something Except that – those Super Bowls. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it inspires confidence, what we've seen the last three years. Is there anything that you, you know, you would nitpick? Anything, that you know, down the stretch here from Joe, not like season long as he's found his footing as a rookie head coach, but over the last, you know – 10 games or so with the playoffs nearing, is there anything 
that you feel like you would like to see that you haven't seen? Kind of in the same way that earlier in the year, people griped about the lack of play, you know, timeouts. Now he's calling more timeouts. And, you know, some people have had questions about the rotation and injuries have played a role in that and rest and all of that. But is there anything right now that, that, I don't know, has been missing that, that you find yourself kind of, you know, not, not Celtics fan, but just NBA fan watching and yelling at the TV. Well, um, I don't have the TV with ears, so um, I don't yell at the TV anymore. I, I realize that's just kind of doesn't work. <laughs> um, I think that the times where I'd say like when, they, when this team is playing kind of lethargic, I would say, you know, extend the defense, you know, um, pick them up three quarter court, try to force tempo. I would look at doing that more. Um, I think that they, I think the timeout thing was absolutely the right thing to do, especially early in the year, because you, you need to want to make this team more self-reliant. Um, the, I go back to the old story with uh, the Lakers. Um, Frank Hamlin was an assistant coach. There was a really close friend um, who's since passed away. Really great guy and a really good coach, uh, uh, lifer. Uh, he would tell me that he'd be on the bench and the, someone would make a run against the Lakers. He'd turn to Phil Jackson and say, should we call a timeout? And Phil would say, using a little bit different language, hey, they got themselves into this. Let them get themselves out of it. And I think that the more you can get the team to realize, to correct its own mistake, instead of looking to the bench or looking to someone else to solve their problem, that that works out in the long run. Um, you're seeing him call a few more timeouts now because you want to get into that pattern of how you're going to deal with things in playoffs, et cetera. You're not going to say, you're not going to potentially sacrifice a game uh, <clears throat> to get, uh, to, to develop habits at this stage. Um, so uh, I, I was on board with the timeout thing. And, you know, as far as rotation goes, I think a lot of, I think a lot of people have to, and even if he'd have been a veteran coach, when you've got a new team, you have to really figure out who works best with whom. And it's not analytics. You've got to see it. You've got to be able to feel it with does a guy's confidence go up when he's in this spot, that spot, who he's playing with. Um, you know, is a guy a really good cutter? Is he playing with a guy that, that rewards cuts with passes or is he playing with a guy that's got his head down? You've got to learn how to mix and match that. And there have been difficulties because of the Rob factor. I, I kind of looked back and said, I, I, I think they should have seen more of Rob against Rob Williams against, uh, against Washington. Like he only played what 15 minutes or something like that or very little. Um, but it, the team didn't do well necessarily with him on the floor, but he might have been able to do something defensively. And then when the injury report came out before last night's game that said he was questionable um, with some some knee issues, I'm going, okay, maybe this is why he didn't play more against uh, uh, against the Wizards. You know, there's a lot of stuff you've got to monitor as the season goes along. And, you know, getting this team to the postseason in one piece and in the, the piece that's most um, most able to do what you want is those are all it's kind of juggling. You know, you, it's a, a juggling game. I've, uh, I'll let you go in a sec, but I've, I've, I don't know. I've in, in some ways I've asked this question 
sort of over and over and in, in just from different angles, right? Like we, we were talking about the, the ups and downs of the season. We were talking about Joe just now. If we're talking about the players, I thought an interesting and, and maybe it was sort of nitpicking sound bites or whatever, but I'll, I'll, I'll give our guy, John Zanis, big part of the network here. I don't know. Evan, you probably saw it. He, he put out a tweet, I think yesterday, uh, comparing and contrasting the Bruins and Celtics and just what you hear from these guys after a letdown loss. And mm. the, it was quote after quote from the Bruins of basically saying, you know, it's on us to, to get better. And from the Celtics, the theme was more or less shit happens. Do you think that these guys are, and, and this, you know, you could put, you could rope the coach into this as, as manager of minds and motivator and all of that if you want to, or you just say, Hey, these are professionals being highly paid and, and you shouldn't need to be motivated to chase a championship. It's, it's all about them kind of as we talked about before. Do you think the players from what you've heard from them, what you've received from them when you've spoken to them, are they in the right headspace? Like, do they have the, the, the win at all costs, grit mentality, whatever cliche you want to throw in for a deep championship chase coming off of the letdown of last year. I, I think it would make fans feel better if Celtic players were more um, were more publicly accountable. You know, it doesn't mean that they're not. I mean, what you see in a post game presser or an interview situation is not necessarily what's behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. Joe Missoula sitting at the podium uh, is different than Joe Missoula with the players, trust me. Okay, uh, Joe Missoula is a competitive freak. If you see them uh, play the, the coaches' uh, games uh, before, you know, a few hours before tip-off, you know, this guy's a lunatic. He's He's like – He's got a lot of Marcus Smart in him, or Marcus has a lot of Joe Missoula in him. Um, so he's not – the way he's, you know, with the with the media, you know, they're trying to keep a lid on things and, and look cool and all that. And, you know, um, but I think, yeah, uh, I think it would make fans feel better if guys were so would say, hey, look, we screwed that up. We can't let that happen again. Um, but uh, it's it's what do they put on the floor that 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 makes the the difference? And and to me, it's like you know, like when you lost to um, Orlando, we uh, Sean Devaney and I did a, a podcast leading into that long homestand, and he was saying, you know, well, the Celts got it, you know, they got in a great spot now. They get this homestand against some lesser teams. I said, watch out for the magic. They are going to come in here and they're going to, they're going to be firing away. And if they make some shots, the Celtics are going to get all, you know, anxiety is going to creep in and they're, you know, it, so losing to, to, uh, to Orlando on that Friday night, not a surprise to me, losing to them again on that Sunday afternoon, after you've basically been chastised by your loss two nights earlier, that was a little more surprising, you know? Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with what you're saying, but it's also, you know, the nature of players, you know, to not get too high, not get too low. You kind of want that, right? So, you know, maybe you don't want them to come out and bleed all over themselves after a loss. Maybe it's not the the most healthy thing to do, but I just think it would make fans feel better. So I, I agree with you on that count. 
Yeah. yeah, you want you, you want a player to sound like, and I'm not saying I'm not I'm not suggesting a player doesn't feel it. They feel it more than we do. They're playing, but you want a player to sound like they care as much as the fans care, right? And that that's you, you know get that. that's that's actually something I've been really on for years. Um, that you know the definition of player cool is to act mm-hmm. like hey, no big deal, and I think that's I think that's terribly bad for business when someone when you lose a game at home and someone who's paid uh you know however many thousands of dollars to play in that game um appears to you know the the fan appears to who's paid money to be there uh, appears to care more about the loss I'm not saying they do but that doesn't look good for the person that's, that's shelled out money when the player says, that's oh, no big deal. You know, you should have told me it was no big deal before I spent 150 on these tickets. Yeah. Would watch them on TV. You know, um, again, not necessarily reality here, but uh, the optics aren't great. So, I mean, one of the reasons the Celtic, the people loved Larry Bird was, you know, he'd be pissed after losses, you know, um, and it's the same reason I think, you know, outside of the uh, acrobatics and all that, that people love Michael Jordan. He was unhappy after losses. He was, you know, he was, you know, angry too. And uh, if there is that disconnect between fans and players, um, it's look. This is an entertainment industry. You know, we said it a thousand times. We don't begin each season having, you know, the Republic won't rise or fall, you know, (laughs) depending on, you know, based on who's going to win a championship. We don't have a, a need to find out my God, who's the, what's the best basketball team in the NBA this year? You know, it's got to be based on it's, it's the business thing of people want to see that unscripted competition. And, you know, if there's, if people aren't giving a damn like they supposed to, or aren't acting like it, even though they do, but just I'm going to act cool about this, you know. I guess I'm kind of contradicting what I was saying before. That you don't want guys necessarily bleeding all of themselves, but you want them feel like that that they care like you care. And this is you know what I've seen in, from fans and heard from them as well. I I I would I would latch back onto this thing, but I think we've done the Joe Mazzola thing a little bit. Um, I do want to jump into this because, again, as we talked about pre-show, we, we can give Steve a little bit of a runway here to uh, repeat one of his, I think, most important um, takes that he has in the arsenal. Um, and it surrounds the all-NBA candidacy of Jalen Brown, who, as we all know, is eligible for an extension this offseason if he were to hit that milestone. Um, the Celtics obviously... Uh, are very interested in Jalen Brown making an all-NBA team. Um, we have debates every single day on Twitter, Steve, of whether Jalen Brown counts as a guard or a forward because it's going to be easier for him to make one of these all-NBA teams if he's a forward, not a guard. So we have everybody checking basketball reference and cleaning the glass every day to figure out how many minutes have been allocated at this position versus this position, which has been a lot of fun. How You've had all-NBA votes. Do you still have one? No, I ah, okay. I'm a conscientious objector. I re, I refused them years and years ago. 
Okay. Uh, I said, don't, don't give me the, the votes for the different awards. And I, I, I think that's great. I think it's awesome that you've kind of, you know, backed up what you've preached in terms of, you know, uh, media members should not have the ability to change how much money these athletes make, you know, in a certain, I, I, I think that's great, but talk about, and t- I hate using the word talk about, but Jalen's all NBA candidacy is complicated. How would you handle it in the past? I don't know. It's kind of a, a weird hypothetical because I, I would, I just, I don't think it's ethical. Um, you know, um, I guess I probably would have looked at it like he's one of the 15 best players and, you know, you got to find a way to reward that. Um, you know, uh, especially, you know, if, if you look at now, it, it, we're talking about largely positionless basketball or at least different. I mean, you know, um, the way that uh, Brad Stevens used to put it out, which I think is probably the way you know, you've got ball handlers, wings, and bigs. Um, you know, the uh, the Celtics benefited from the double big lineup uh, when they when they brought back Al Horford because it allowed uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to have size advantages. But they weren't really playing a different position. They were both still just playing. They were both wings before, but just one was now being – you know, if you were going to do one center, two forwards, two guards, you know, no one plays that way anymore. In the old days, you had the left forward and right forward. You know, guys were – that's how the positions were were um, categorized. Um, it's different now. There's, there's much more movement. And so I I, I guess I, I probably would have found a way. But, I again, I I voted for a number of years on, the, on these things. You know, it was all NBA, and then they would have uh, – two votes from each city. And if the, when there were more than two writers that had covered all the games, they would kind of split the votes up. And, and, but I, I, um, again, I just don't think it's ethical that, uh, that media members, that journalists covering the game, covering teams should have, uh, an effect on how much money that player makes. Um, you know, over the years, and this subject come up recently because I, um, someone's talked to me about doing a book. Um, someone's no longer playing. Uh, but, um, the, you know, over those Celtics glory years in the late eighties and in, you know, nineties or not, not early nineties, certainly, uh, the, I was offered to, to do books and it's like, you know, I, I can't write a book about, I have a, a financial interest with someone uh, that I'm covering, you know, um, you can't write about this player and then, you know, um, you have your financial gain tied to, to how famous they are and all that. I just, I don't think that's right. And I, and I just don't think it's, I don't think journalists should be in the business of helping to determine, um, what the, you know, how much money a player should, will, will make on his contract. I mean, it's like directly correlated to, what he's eligible to earn based on whether he makes the all NBA team or not. There's other, you know, based on where the guy finishes in, in uh, um, MVP voting, there are, you know, um, additions to contracts that there are incentives and in some contracts for stuff like that. I just, I don't, I don't think it's right. And it's funny. 
the the players, you know, will bitch about the the you know the writers. They don't know anything. They're going to screw up these awards. Trust me, if the media was ever taken out of the awards, um, the players would screw it up a lot worse. <laughs> and that's not just my opinion. Look at how they deal with the all-star voting now. The, you know, the players have a certain thing there. Look at, go back and look at some of the people that get votes. Um, so you think writers are petty and stuff and players are, are worse at that. I'll tell you, Trey Young never would probably get an all NBA team because he seems to be dead last in the player voting every single, yeah. every single all-star game now. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there are guys that, uh, yeah. Yeah, agreed. And, you know, uh, so it's funny when, when players like when, um, Jason Tatum said a couple of years ago or something about the voting and say, you know, wait a minute, go look at your all-star voting. The media had you there, you know, it has a star as a starter. It was the players who screwed it up for you. And mm-hmm. the, you know, the fans had you up there too, you know? Um, anyway, well, I, 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 I just, I think I don't like because I, I, again, don't think it's ethical. Well, Adam, that's, that gets back to the, I said this, I think months ago when the all-star voting came out and I said it at the time, the media, if you look at the media's way the media voted for, for all-star list, Adam, if number one, I believe at the forward position was, was Jason Tatum. And I think number two for guards was Jalen Brown. So it wasn't like the media didn't think of the Celtics duo here right. in, in high regards. They were, they were way up there, Adam. So for me, again, as I, as this has been my biggest thing in terms of, following this team and been on this all year um, just because I don't want to deal with the storyline anymore. I'm just sick and tired of listening to people talk about what Jalen Brown is going to do when we just, you know, we're going to do this every single year until ad infinitum, basically. I just would like for him to make an all NBA team. So I don't have to deal with the constant, Oh, Jalen Brown's going here. He's going there. He's going here. I just don't want to deal with it anymore. Adam, I'm, I'm all set. Yeah. So. Get, get your $290 million. Come back. Cause Boston can offer you considerably more than anybody That's else. And then wind up in a trade mover, you know, rumor a year or two down the road. You know, Is there anything more tedious than, uh, well, who's the one? Who's the one? A who's the go-to guy? Who's open? Tell yeah. me who's open. Yeah. That's the go-to. You know, I mean, um, I want the ball in Jason Tatum's hands as much as possible down the stretch of a game if I'm the Celtics. But I want him, I want the ball in his hands as a finisher. So I want him going off picks and getting open. Mm-hmm. I think that's the key. Yeah. I want him, I want the ball in his hands because I think he's the best. Oh, you know, he's, I shouldn't say he's the best finisher, but he's maybe he's one and maybe Jalen's one. No, I hate that stuff. <laughs> like who's open? Who's going to make a play? You know? But it's it's going to take other people to get him open because we see that when he has the ball up top, same thing with Jalen, and they drive one-on-one becomes one-on-two and one-on-three, and that's where the Celtics get knocked out of the playoffs. So your two best players aren't your two best players unless the other three guys in the court are where they're supposed to be and unless your two best players are using them properly, Right. Let's go uh, full circle with this show before we get out of here, or at least the last thing for me anyway. I don't know if Evan has anything else. But uh, as I mentioned, including tonight's game against the Jazz, five games left in the regular season. The C's two games behind the Bucks because they took that very important one last night in Milwaukee. You have had uh, a number of people uh, associated with the organization, be it players, coaches, whomever, say, whatever, don't care about the one seed. We're going to wind up where we wind up. 
It's kind of how I feel, quite frankly, and have felt all along, like just take this team healthy into the playoffs. That is the priority. You know, I, I feel they are capable, even if some teams scare me more than others, they are capable of beating anybody in the league, anybody in the Eastern Conference, all of it. But then you also had Malcolm Brogdon come out recently and say, getting the one seed is very important to us. So how much do you anticipate in these final five games, given that it is, however implausible, it is within reach, are the C's going to bust their asses going for the one seed here? Or are they going to start to prioritize rest down the stretch? I think I think they should go for it because you want to still build that reflex. And the part that people kind of leave out here, it seems, is that they're going to have a week, you know, because while the play on stuff, play on uh, play in stuff is happening, excuse me, um, you know, they're going to be practicing and resting and all that stuff. So they're going to have time to uh, um, to get themselves together, right? So I wouldn't be so worried about you know overexertion in these games here. I'd I'd be more looking to hey look, you know. Um, go after this stuff because you don't want to be uh, you don't want to be in coast mode. You know, you don't want to be playing a prevent defense as you get down the stretch here. You want to be um, in that mode of, you know, we're playing hard, we're playing to win. Um, maybe some other guys get opportunities a little bit. Maybe you play guys a few more minutes than otherwise they would have. Um, I don't have a problem with that. But to say that you're not going to go after these wins here, I'm going to be interested to see tonight um, if uh, if Al Horford plays. You know, it's a back-to-back. He hasn't played so much. Um, but they got beat on the boards really badly by uh, the the Jazz that, that game, uh, recent game. So I'd be interested to see whether he says, okay, look, I'm going to, I'm going to give this a go here. Because they, they got three days off after this, after tonight's game. So, you know, will he give them some minutes? Um, I'll be interested to see. All right. Ed, anything to add? No, I'm good. I'm just, I'm happy that the end of the season is here. We can actually, because again, it's a, this point is a long season. I'm ready for, especially because some of these games where they drop, I get really irritated. Um, <laughs> cause it's like, you know, but I'm, I'm ready for the playoffs. I think we all are at this point because it's, you know, it's been since October, November here. I'm ready to, uh, it's because you know you got you got good things coming. You got summer coming. Baseball just started. The Masters is coming up. Like it all kind of happens. Championship the Final Four is this weekend. So I'm just I'm ready for the the marathon, so to speak. Because this is you know obviously a one one season, but the postseason is a whole different animal. Yeah, you got it's a selling script. You got the Red Sox to look forward to. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> this long playoff run out of the Bruins. Let's count on that. All <laughs> right, one, man. Jeez. Yeah. Hopefully the President's Trophy doesn't go and screw everything up like it always does in the NHL. All right. Thanks to Steve Bullpet, to Evan. I am Adam. Thank you for being with us, uh, watching along on YouTube, listening wherever you find podcasts. Rate, review, subscribe. Thank you to our sponsors. We will be back at it next week as we get closer and closer to the start of the postseason. Thanks for watching, listening, and all of it. See you.